Hello and welcome to Midwest Writers Room. Our mission is to encourage, educate, and celebrate writers of the Midwest. I'm Luella Schmidt. We have a special episode today featuring my brilliant co-host himself, novelist Ken Humphrey. Joining me as a guest host is Tracy Sheffield. Tracy writes mysteries set in Wisconsin, and she's the author of the Backyard Model series. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you, Luella. I am so happy to be here. I'm so excited to guest host this podcast with you, and thank you so much for having me. I'm a Midwest author who writes books and screenplays for readers and viewers who like to laugh and escape. I've traveled and love it, but you can take this writer out of the Midwest, but you'll never take the Midwest out of this writer. Today's guest, Ken Humphrey, the co-host of the Midwest Writers Room, has written multiple books, a middle-grade trilogy, The Demon Hunts of Ramey Rylan, and an adult thriller trilogy, The Killing Ark. He's also the author of Ghoul, a zombie apocalypse teen novel written as a graduation gift starring his daughter, and its sequel, Ghouls and Boys, which features his son. That makes eight books, and there's one child yet to graduate, so there will be a third installment in this series, I take it? Yes. <laughs> I love that. And Ken's ninth novel, The Breakfast Jury, releases on February 1st. This novel was inspired by a real-life murder trial in Kenosha, Wisconsin, for which he served as jury foreman. It's a blend of uh, the movie, The Breakfast Club, and a mystery whodunit. And it's so exciting to chat with you about your writing today. How are you? I'm doing good. Feeling a little weird in the guest chair as opposed to the co-host chair, but I can I can get used to this. Um, life is doing very good. How are you ladies today? Good. Good. good, thank you. So today on the Midwest Writers Room, we're going to talk about your current novel, The Breakfast Jury, and its unique premise. As I've mentioned to you, I just love your point of view that you, you brought into this. This is your ninth novel, but before we get to that, tell us about your author journey. All right, well, buckle up. Um, I guess you know the start isn't that much different than a lot of us writers. Right? I wrote as a kid. I was always you know writing stories, reading, you know drawing the characters to the stories. Um, but like so many other people, you, know, you write them and you kind of shove them. I actually wrote a couple of manuscripts in my 20s that I just didn't do anything with, right? Like, oh, this will be the great, you know, American novel that I'll publish someday. And then they just sort of got put on a shelf. And so it was about almost exactly 10 years ago. And my second child, Cameron, was in fourth grade. And we were at a parent-teacher conference. And the teacher, and I'm going to give her a call out right now, Jen Phillips, mentioned during the uh the parent teacher conference said you know cameron's a good reader but there's just not a lot of books for 11 year old boys and that struck me at that point i, I guess i never thought about it didn't realize it um so immediately i'm gone mentally boom i checked out i mean i'm, I'm assuming cameron did fine i didn't hear the rest of the conference even though i was sitting there <laughs> but by the time we were done i had the first hunt of a ramey ryland book fleshed out in my head and that came out and that came out in 2014 called the world serpent um, I then moved on and did a couple of sequels in that in that trilogy. I actually went back to his class later that year um, after I finished the book and presented it to his class and all his classmates. And I gave them all autographed copies, talked about, I guess, the importance of writing and why I wrote these books, which were much more action-centric books geared towards trapping the mind of an 11-year-old boy reader. And so... 
you know, I did that trilogy, did it, I actually went back a couple of times to different classes for Mrs. Phillips, you know, as other kids matriculated through for the next couple of years, um, I did some tours of the elementary schools around, just bringing my books in, talking to, you know, fourth graders predominantly about the importance of reading. Well, I after that. I finished The World Serpent, you know, I hadn't really thought of the second book in the trilogy yet, but I thought about one of those novels that I had a manuscripts that I'd written in probably in the mid late 90s. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to dust off one of these and rewrite it. Well, that became the first book in the Killing Arc series, which is titled Killing the Man. It's a bit of a play on the words because the main kill main character is named Rick Killing. So it's not necessarily killing as a verb as much as it's killing Rick Killing the man. I wrote that and then ended up over the next couple of years following up with a couple of others in that trilogy um, to close out that, you know, that whole series of books. Well, then in 2018, you know, my oldest, my daughter, Kaylee, she's getting ready to graduate high school. And I'm thinking, and this is in the year when she's a senior, like in the fall of her senior year, I'm thinking, what do I get her for a graduation gift, right? We already bought her a car, so I'm not getting her one of those. Right? Do, we, do we go on a vacation? Da, 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 da. What can I get her that other kids don't have? And so I got her a book. Her and her friends, her close crew of friends, are all into the Walking Dead series at that time, right? They'd have watch parties. So I created, I wrote the book Ghoul, which is set in a zombie apocalypse 25 years after the zombies have taken over in this wasteland. And it's Kaylee and her closest friends who are charged out on a mission to essentially change the world. And so I gave that to her and her, you know, the friends that star in this book as graduation gifts, because they almost all graduated at the same time. Oh, um, that's that really great. Yeah, that was a six month writing process. And so for anybody out there thinking about doing something similar, plan accordingly. Do not do it in six months. Even if it's just a teen novel of 70,000 words, it is very stressful to crank something out like that and give it to you know, her friends, her parents will read it. It's out. I mean, anybody can buy it, even though it's dedicated towards my daughter. But give yourself a little more grace and time. I have a really bad habit of not doing that and deciding at the last minute, hey, I'm going to write a book. I've got 38 minutes. Let's crank her out. Right? So <laughs> plan accordingly. Uh, and so then it followed after that, four years after that, when my son Cameron, who kicked it all off initially because he didn't like reading, um, got his book when he graduated high school, and it is a continuation. It fills the same world. It's called Ghouls and Boys, and this time Kaylee, you know, appears in it as well, but now it's Cameron and his close crew of boys. And because they all played football, that's where most of his close friends came from as a high school football team. It's, it's kind of filled with football metaphors and allegories oh, all the way that. through. I'm not sure he actually ever read it because despite all my efforts starting his fourth grade, he never was much of a reader, <laughs> but you know, it's out there. I gave well, it to him. You made the effort. That's what counts, right? You got, you got E for effort there. I made the effort. Yep. And I've got, and you one never more. know what that's going to bring in the future for him either. You know, everybody right. comes yep. to it at a different time. On his 30th birthday, I'm going to give it this, the <laughs> novel and say, now, dang it, read. <laughs> <laughs> so that leads us up to the, the, your current work, right? That yes. you have one more to do for a child that you're going to do, but then yes. you also have what you have right now, the breakfast jury. Correct. So the breakfast jury, it's coming out on February 1st. Um, 
And I give you guys both a copy. I think the actually the paperback might be available now because I needed to pre-order a bunch of author copies. Um, I served on a jury starting in January 2023. And this was the trial of Mark Jensen in Kenosha. And for people who may not be familiar, it was a big deal around here because he had poisoned his wife with antifreeze back in the late 90s. And the initial trial was the longest in Wisconsin state history. It lasted seven weeks to convict him. And then there were some, I guess, some legal rulings from the Wisconsin Supreme Court level that essentially vacated the initial conviction. Apparently, there was some evidence that should not have been allowed, that was allowed. So it came back around again. And that's when I got landed on it, you know, last January 2023. It didn't take seven weeks this time. It took four weeks. It was still a very long trial, like 90 some witnesses, a ton of forensic and scientific and technical um, evidence to go through. And you were the foreman, right? You were the and then foreman. I ended up being the foreman. Yes. Which, not what I was thinking going into it. I had no idea. I'd never been on a jury before. It only been requested once, but it was when I was away at college. So I got out of it. And I'm going in thinking, all right, you know, we got, uh, it'll be a few days of a DUI or a theft case or, you know, who knows what. And I just noticed when he got there, all these people in the courtroom for selection. And I remember, and this was, I kind of, a lot of what's in my book, especially for the jury section of that book, kind of reflects a lot of my thoughts or thoughts of the others that they shared. And my first thought was, what is going on? Why are there so many people here? Is this normal? I mean, I don't know what normal was because I've never been in before, but I'm thinking there's a lot of people here. It's because the court system, the judge knew that many would drop out just due to the fact that it was expected to, they even told us up front, it's going to be three, four weeks at least. And so you get a lot of dropouts from there, just hardship dropouts. It's a unique experience that probably not a lot of people get to go through because I think many people, when they do serve on a jury, you know, they're in a few days and it is, you know, it's a case that gets resolved fairly quickly. Um, you spend four weeks every day in a jury room, in a jury box with the same people. It's this odd, I don't know what you call it, this odd dichotomy of you get to know them very well, but you really don't know anything about them. You don't have any history. You don't know what their kids' names are. You don't know where they grew up, but you know their habits, their tendencies, how they speak, what they like to eat, you know, you know all those things you kind of get to know. And it, just, it kept reminding me of the Breakfast Club movie. I mean, I love that movie as a kid, anybody our age, you know, in the 80s, probably at that teenager age and above, just love that movie because it really spoke to a lot of us, you know, strangers that are not so different after all. And that's that I kept coming to my mind during the entire uh, trial case that man, these people that I would probably never cross paths with them anywhere else. Um, I don't, I would look at them and say, I probably don't have a lot in common. But when it all came down to it, we did have a lot in common, right? You kind of form these, this unique type of friendship. You know, we went through the trial and, you know, as you get to know people, you know, a few of them um, learned that I was an author. And so we talk a lot about, you know, kind of writing books. They kept saying, you need to write a book on this, Ken. You need to write a book. We're all done. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought, well, okay, but the trial books, you know, the, this is my life during a trial books. I mean, those are kind of done to death, right? They're, they've popped out. And frankly, Writing about a real life trial isn't that interesting or going through a real life trial isn't that interesting. It's kind of rinse and repeat. Go in, sit down, listen, go on breaks, go home. Right. So, you know, they kept saying write a book and I'm like, yeah, it's not interesting enough. I can't I don't know where the meat would be for a book. 
Well, in the last week or so, that's when the whole Breakfast Club idea started to solidify in my head. And I thought, wait a minute, maybe there is something here, just not your traditional, you know, depiction of a trial. And so that whole last week I did, I, I kind of fleshed things out and thought, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fictionalize all the facts and events of this trial. I'm going to, you know, use all of us, you know, fictionalize us, the names and that. But a lot of the things that we went through, um, I'm going to include as part of this part of the book. And then I'm going to layer on this whole mystery aspect to it. So the way the book uh, is laid out, it's in two layers, right? There's essentially year one when it's the jury going through all of their, you know, trial, uh, trial deal, trial ordeal going through this you know, depicting what happened as a, as a combination of both trials that happened um, for the Mark Jensen case. But the other layer occurs one year later when they all decide to get together on the one-year anniversary of the longest trial in Wisconsin state history, and some of those members end up poisoned by what looks like antifreeze. So that brings in the same method. Yeah, the same method. It brings in this whole mystery of, well, what's going on? And so that second layer is told from the viewpoint of a essentially a disgraced detective. And this detective came from my Killing Arc series. He was a main character in both the second and the third book. And I felt like his story was a little bit unfinished from that third book at the end of that trilogy. I, I, kinda, I wanted to bring him back and give, give a little bit of a wraparound to readers. I mean, not only that, but at the end of that third book um, in the Killing Arc trilogy, my wife shut the page, looked at me and said, what happened to the main character? How could you do that? I mean, <laughs> she let me know in no uncertain terms that he had an unfinished story. And so I thought this would be the timeline fits and this would be a good way to bring him back as the main character and kind of provide the, the mystery whodunit aspect to the series. Um, I think Tracy, you would put it nicely when you were talking to me about this and that it's a mix of what did you call it? I called it a uh, 12 Angry Jurors Meets a Nelson DeMille Novel. It yes. was twisty and the main character's funny but flawed and thoroughly enjoyable. And I think you really found the meat of that trial and adding a mystery to it. I think you did it quite successfully. So I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I agree that two storylines coming together the way they did was just really well done. You know, you've got the detective kind of working his way through and, and, and trying to find all of these jurors to see if anybody else is, you know, experiencing uh, poisoning or uh, some other interesting effects. And I don't know, I just I think it's very, very well done. It's a fun read. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And that was, you know, I, I told Tracy before you came on the line, Luella, that you know, I wasn't trying to write the great American novel here. What I wanted to write, you know, and because I had less than a year to do it, I wanted to write a fun, engaging read. Something that would just keep you interested turning the pages, um, but it's probably not going to change your world. But it is going to entertain you, and that was yeah. my goal. Because on our last day, the day we provided the verdict, I looked at all the jurors and said, all right, in one year, we're going to get together, and I'm going to have a signed book for all of you. And so we're coming up on that one year. You know, I hit my mark, right? I had roughly nine to 10 months to write this book, you know, get it all polished and get it ready to go. And, you know, I think I hit the mark. So I'm excited about it. 
Well, yeah, I think you. that's really wise. You have this, uh, you have this uh, great um, method of self-imposing deadlines on your, on yourself. I, I really need to do that too. <laughs> You're good at it. <laughs> May not be good for your blood pressure, but you know, it works. Luella, I know in one of our other podcasts, you had asked what my good news was. And I had recited it at a time. I'm like, I had a breakthrough on my novel, this novel, The Breakfast Jury. And that breakthrough really was how to tie the two timelines, the two storylines together. In other words, how do I bring the jury into the orbit of the detective? I could not for the life of me figure that out. And I sat, you know, and I was rewriting and I'd go back and I'd do a few chapters just as a way to try and get my engine fired up to see if some ideas would spark, you know, and they, they just weren't coming. And as I stated in that good news segment, you know, probably a couple months now, it was literally one of those bombs in the middle of the night or two o'clock in the morning, I opened my eyes and said, oh, that's it. That's how I'm going to do it. And it was such a, uh, a, it was so obvious. I about wanted to beat myself in the head for not having thought of it before. But B, it was such a thunderous realization that I didn't need to write it down because I knew this was not going to leave me. Not to mention that I did probably didn't go back to sleep for another hour and a half because now, now that you know where you're going in a story, well, now I'm spending, I'm laying there in bed, staring in the dark, kind of walking through the mechanics. All right, and then how am I going to get there? What has to happen for this to be the ending? And so I'm kind of plotting in my head in the middle of the night. Yeah. And so it was, you know, it's not often that you get kind of that, you know, eureka moment in life. Sure is fun when it does happen. And it's always in the middle of the night, it seems, at least. <laughs> or in the shower. Why not want to sit there after yeah. lunch <laughs> thinking about what am I going to do next? That would be a perfect time for a thunderous moment to happen. But no, wake me up. <laughs> I have a theory, and it's only a theory, that that we have, you know, the books we're inspired to write are already in our subconscious, and then we work hard to bring them out, you know, forward to the page. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. And that's why I think we get these odd, you know, revelations during these weird times when our subconscious is sort of taking control over us at the moment. So I don't know. It's just a I think that sounds just as likely <laughs> as anything else. We can't explain it. I think that's half the fun of being a writer is having those moments where you all of a sudden you, you you can't stay away from your characters and they're kind of with you the whole time. And then boom, something like that happens. It's so cool. Right? Yeah. I mean, you get you're living with these characters in your head, right? You hear their voices, you see their stories. And it's almost like your brain is multi-threading. You're just, you're running all these thoughts concurrently or in parallel, side by side. And it's, you know, one of those is what's got to emerge to create that eureka moment. Um, but yeah, it's multiple layers of processing in the brain. And yeah, it is, it is fun when you're right or kind of stuck in the throes of that. Because when it all comes together, it's, it's, a, it's a feeling that's hard to describe. Does your main character think the opposite of you? Do you, I've, did you find that when your main character may make a choice that you would never do, but you had to write it in there because that's what your main character would do? Yes. What I've done for main characters, um, and actually let me backtrack for a second on this book with the two layers. So one of the things that I did structurally was for the jury portion of the book, the jury layer, it's all told in this omniscient point of view third person point of view, which I generally don't write in. I've never written one from the omniscient third person point of view. The detective story is all written from first person, first person present tense, which I have done quite a bit. And to your question there, Tracy, yes, they make decisions 
that I would not make personally. But part of it is I set up essentially their personality profile in my head. Right? We all do with the, with our characters. We kind of know what they're like. And I know going in that this is a character that doesn't think like I think. Or, you know, in some of my other books, you know, this is a character who thinks exactly like I think. And somehow it's just just me viewing or spewing stuff onto the page. But yeah, it's all set up by the structure of your character as to what types of decisions they're going to make. And you, if you flesh them out fully, you can kind of predict how they're going to essentially decide one way or the other, which path in the woods they take. Yeah, those different points of view were really captivating. And it helped me as a reader to kind of figure out what was going on too, like when a new chapter would start, whether we were talking with, about, you know, the detective's point of view or the jury um, the activity in the courtroom. And I mean, it was even just the courtroom activity alone was really captivating to just, you know, see all of the witnesses and all the jury reactions and the giggling. I've been on one jury and it was, you know, three, two, three days, I think. Um, but there is, even in that short period of time, there's like, you know, sort of giggling and people that, you know, whose personality sometimes shine or people who are a little more reticent, like you do get to know people. Um, and I thought that really came through well. Good. Cause yeah, everything, that takes place in the jury portion of the book, you know, is essentially just cribbed from reality. Things that we said, things that we did, things that we heard, the way people acted. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of creativity I needed there other than kind of putting things in order, you know, making them succinct and understandable. But in terms of what is this character like? What is that character like? Pfft, I already knew. I didn't have to do any character profiles because I knew what they were like just from having spent that time with them. That I'm really curious to hear what they it, what they it, say. It was so entertaining. Yeah. It made it so yeah. entertaining and fun to read. So yeah. there is one big concern in a book like this. You know, I hope to God nobody on the jury is offended. You know, I told them like the main antagonist in the jury, and I told her right up front. I, I I'm like, look, you're gonna look like the bad guy. You're not, but you're gonna look like the bad guy, right? So I just and she, you know, she kind of had that personality anyway that if you said you can be any type of character she'd be like yeah i want to be the john bender character the guy that instigates everything right so that you know she was perfectly fine with that but you know when you're writing about people that are real people that could read about themselves and this goes for my books for my daughter and my son right it's like oh i hope i'm portraying them correctly right or am i showing them something they don't know about themselves. And they think, God, is that what I'm like? Is that how he views me? So there's always a little bit of that trepidation that I want to do them justice. I want to make sure it's right and true and, you know, not irritate them. <laughs> Midwest Writers Room is a production of the Wisconsin Writers Association. WWA is the go-to source for writers in all stages of their careers who write in any genre in the state and surrounding region. WWA has been around since the late 1940s and provides writers with workshops, critique groups, and conferences to help you build your community and advance your literary goals. Membership is only $35 a year and is a low-cost, fabulous way to engage in writing and get the tools to jumpstart your writing career or hone your skills to the next level. Learn more and join at wiwrite.org. Okay, Ken, so I've loved hearing about the breakfast jury 
and your other books. You have written nine books now. So can you tell us about your writing routine and your work habit? What writing tools do you use and what can you offer writers? Okay, so regular listeners of this podcast, you know, may have noticed that a lot of our authors are, you know, a bit, um, they write when, you know, kind of when it strikes, they're not really rigid or set on a schedule. I am not that. I am very much a scheduled writer. You know, when I'm deep into a book like The Breakfast Jury, you know, at minimum, I'm starting no later than 7 a.m. I'm an early riser, but no later than 7 a.m. till about 10. So about three hours of writing. You know, I've learned I really can't do more than three hours of writing straight before I just, I tend to lose focus. You know, I can move on to other things if, you know, if I want to go back and do some research on something. But in terms of actual writing, you know, creative writing, you know, putting out a first draft, I'm limited about three hours a day. And so that's essentially at least six days a week, if not seven, you know, when I'm in the, in the middle of a book. Again, I'll call your attention back to the fact that I set myself very difficult deadlines, which then necessitates the seven day a week writing routine. Again, don't, don't take that as advice, you know, be, be smarter than I am. But I do, yeah, so I am pretty, pretty regimented in when I write. And I tend to write very linearly. So in other words, I write most part from the beginning of the book to the end. You know, every now and then I might scratch out a scene if I thought of something that I know is not going to come to way later in the book. So I might just write, you know, a few paragraphs to kind of describe it. But for the most part, I don't intermingle my chapters or my scenes. I start at the beginning and I work through to the end. Would you call yourself a plotter or a pantser? Um, I'm probably leaning more to the plotter, you know, in terms of tools. You know, I've used things like, you know, the Scrivener. I have, I have Scrivener, um, writer.com. There's another one called Omwriter. You know, I'm always, I'm as much interested in the process as I am in the result. And so I'm always on the hunt for new tools. Well, with this book, with The Breakfast Jury, because it's a different structure than I've ever written before. We've got two storylines going on at two different times. I landed on a um, program called Plotter, P-L-O-T-T-R, not E-R, just T-T-R. And that actually has a visual timeline component to it. So you can kind of drop in essentially a chapter and you kind of write what that chapter is about, but then you can see where on the timeline it exists. And that allowed me to say, okay, the jury timeline is the yellow line going across plotter, right? And I can show all the different chapters and what's happening. And then the red line below it is what's going on with the detective, because there is a certain amount of interaction between those timelines, right? When I introduced a character to the jury, I wanted to make sure to introduce that character to the detective right around the same chapter or so, especially since it jumps back and forth between the two timelines. So that, that kind of that visual layout was critical for me to keep the story scheduled. And especially since I have dates for every chapter or every scene, you know, it was ultra critical, ultra critical to make sure that day 14 of the jury trial actually lined up correctly with the date that is supposed to happen, you know, versus day 10 versus day 15, right? So it was very important for me to just be, you know, strict and regimented. So those, and then, you know, my final draft, I'll generally then go into Word and just rewrite it. You know, you, you know, a lot of these tools like Scrivener or Plotter, you can export everything you've written. 
So I'll, I'll just export that into a hard copy. And then essentially I rewrite the entire book from that. So I don't cut and paste, but I will look at what I've already written and just rewrite it. Cause that's when, that's when you start fleshing out, you know, your humor points or you flesh out your environment or the atmosphere that you want to create for certain scenes. The first draft that I kick out is generally pretty lean. It's just action and dialogue, you know, and when I do that, that rewrite, that's when I, you know, pad it up a little bit with, with those other pieces. And so that, you know, it's fair to say that every book I generally write three full times front to back, you know, just trying to get it refined and correct each time. Do you have a word count per day that you aim for? Um, I generally do. I will say, you know, it's a 500 or a thousand word day. With this book, it was probably more along the lines of the different scenes I needed to go through. Um, I knew I was hitting roughly 500 words, you know, just you can tell by after you've been typing for a while, you know, how many pages that, okay, I'm roughly about 500 words. So I would, I would loosely stick to that. But in the past with other books, I've been more regimented by actually paying attention to see how many words I had written during that session. This time was more by feel, but I do try, I do try to keep myself, you know, statistically on track. I think it worked. The pacing I thought was crisp throughout, throughout the novel. Okay, good. Glad to hear that. Yeah, for sure. And when you are writing, drafting or editing either one, are you, do you have a muse in your life that works for you art or music or nature like some so many of our, our other guests yeah Luella knows the answer to this question the answer is yes it is music <laughs> there's many times Luella have been talking Luella and I have been talking and I've got music going I have to consciously remind myself to turn it off before any of our zoom calls because otherwise it'll sit and play in the background and it doesn't matter what I'm doing you know I have to have music I I cannot do this stuff in silence Right. Many other authors we've talked to say, no, I need no music. I just need silence. And I just don't understand that. It's just not how my brain is wired. So, yes, music. And there's no special music. You know, Alexa, play me something. And I'll just pick a random artist or a random genre and just let it go. So it's just kind of this background noise. Keeping you company. And a cat that lays on my keyboard. Well, I guess we are at the highlight of, well, the book was, the book discussion was the highlight, but I think the second highlight would be the special sauce discussion. So what is your special sauce or the dreams of your heart, so to speak? After nine novels, there must be a secret to your inspiration and your productivity. I wrangled a long time over this, right? I knew this question was coming. I kept thinking, what, what is my special sauce? I have really no idea. It comes down to, it is important to me, philosophically in my life, it is important to me to collect skills and competencies. In other words, it's always been a goal of mine to be one of those guys who's just capable. I like working with my hands. I like knowing a bunch of different things. So I've built a few houses. You know, I learned enough in the trades to, you know, for framing, electrical, plumbing, tiling, you know, flooring. You know, I like working on cars, you know, I want to flip cars. You know, I graduated a degree in graphic illustration. So, you know, I'm very much a uh, artist minded person. It is one of my pastimes, although I have neglected it over the last few years, but, you know, illustration, specifically pencil illustrations are always my favorite. So I like doing that. Obviously being a writer, my, I guess my special sauce is that 
I can probably find common ground and common experience in a lot of different areas with just about anybody, just because I like, I like learning things and I like learning how to do things, you know, so that the old, uh, the old phrase, Jack of all trades, master of none, just plaster Ken Humphrey across well, it that. sounds like you're a master of many. <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a master, but at least experienced, right? <laughs> so that, that is my special sauce is yes, I just, I, I call it just versatility, but skills collection or capabilities is probably another term for it. I think that sort of uh, authenticity comes through, you know, that that's a, that's a curiosity in your personality that is helpful in anything that you pursue. This is a Ted Lasso quote, be curious, not judgmental. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, what's your most valued craft advice for our listeners? Uh, any particular book or podcast or something that you turn to regularly? I think my advice would probably be one level higher as opposed to specific references. It's really, these are character traits that flow through no matter what you're writing or working on. I think the biggest one is just kind of determination, relentless determination. As an example, I watched the four-hour extended version of Lord of the Rings. If that doesn't say determination, I don't know what does, just because I want to see what was different. But that's really what follows through into the writing or any other discipline. Sure, you can reference different tools. You can listen to podcasts or read different books. But in the end, you have to put in the work. You have to just start putting the words down on paper and find kind of what works for you. We're all different. There is no, there's no such thing as one book that rules them all. There's no such thing as one writing style that rules them all. We have to find our own groove. And that to me, that only comes from the actual work and the groove tends to reveal itself. I will say too, probably on a more tactical note for that is, you know, find the writers that you like and analyze their writing style. I am a Nelson DeMille fan, especially his older stuff, the newer stuff, maybe not as much, but the older stuff like Gold Coast or Spencerville, I really liked because of his blend of humor. I mean, he's a very witty writer. He put together very fast paced plots, but especially in ones like Spencerville or the Gold Coast, he has this ability for this, I guess you'd call it social commentary that was essentially the backdrop of his books that just, you know, for a guy who does these mystery bang them up books, his ability just to talk about the decay of the Gold Coast, for instance, was, I thought, pretty stunning. So I spent a lot of time looking at, you know, how he writes, how he structures his books, what other writers are like him, because that felt like is my most natural writing style. Like if I wrote without knowing who he was and read the two back to back, I would probably see some similarities. So that's, that was probably my most practical piece of advice is just find who you write like and understand how they write. Let it help you develop your own writing voice. Excellent advice. That's really helpful, I think. So in addition to the Midwest Writers Room podcast, what about your website and social media? Where can listeners find you on the internet? I am at kenhumphrey.com. That's my site. Um, I have a Facebook page. I tend to be very, very irreverent. I'm not quite sure what the term is. If it comes to my mind, I generally spit it out on the Facebook page and they're generally observationally humorous related. And then I am on Twitter, 
but I'm probably more of a consumer. And the book is me. available through your website or also on Amazon? In my book, on this this book, because I was under a tight timeline, you know, I was just flying by the seat of my pants on this one. It is available only on Amazon. There'll be a link on my website to the, to the sale page, but it, right now it is only available on Amazon. All right. Hello, listeners. We want to celebrate your good news with you. So uh, please email us uh, at podcast at WIWrite.org. We want to hear your writer news, your life news, your pet news, something you're celebrating. Tell us what's going on in your world. Wonderful. That sounds fabulous. And we also have excellent news. WWA member Tom Malin has been offered a contract to publish his novel with the WWA Press in 2024. So congrats to Tom. That is outstanding. In addition, WWA member Michelle Meyer is celebrating the publication of her debut poetry collection, The Trouble with Being a Childless Only Child, coming out on February 15th. Uh, Written after the unexpected death of her mother, The Trouble with Being a Childless Only Child serves as both tribute and penance, each poem a funeral song versed with longing and ultimately hope for spiritual release. Michelle, we're so thrilled for you. Congratulations. Tracy, uh, what do you got for me for good news? My good news is my first comic cozy mystery, an award winner model suspect, was released in November and this year two more will be coming out. Model Wave will be out in uh, May or June. It's a mysterious beach read. And then in this fall, Model Bride will be out in October. Luella, what's your good news? That is very good news. I'm congratulations to you, Tracy. Oh, thank you. Um, so my good news, I'm gonna say, so last week I got to meet Lisa Lickle in person to discuss our future plans for WWA Press, uh, which she runs. We kicked off season two of the podcast with Lisa. So you probably listened to that interview. And if you haven't, you should, because she's fun, she's fun and fantastic. She is not only a prolific writer herself, but she's a teacher and mentor to so many other writers. And it was really a delight to meet her in person. We met in Baraboo. How about you, Ken? What do you got? Well, there's a podcast that is affiliated with NPR and PBS Broadcasting that interviewed me late last fall in my role as a jury foreman for the for this murder trial. The podcast is called Admissible. And it's a true crime podcast, but it's a little bit different. Each season focuses on just one case. So season two, the 2024 season, is they break down the Mark Jensen trial. And so they go through and they speak with jurors. One of my fellow jurors came and got interviewed at the same time as I did. They'll talk to the lawyers. They'll talk to anybody affiliated with the case that's willing to speak. And so I don't have the release date for season two yet, but that will be at admissible.com. Very nice. Uh, Listeners, that's a podcast at wiwrite.org to share your good news with us. We'd love to give you a shout out. So I just want to say thank you for letting me guest host today. And a big thank you and congrats to Ken Humphrey for letting us interview him and celebrate his ninth novel, The Breakfast Jury, I call it. 12 Angry Angry Jurors Meets a Nelson DeMille. So it's really delightful, twisty, fun with a flawed protagonist. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating in your podcast app. 
This small, easy action will help other writers find us. And thank you for listening to the Midwest Writers Room. I am TK Sheffield. And I'm Luella Schmidt. Words ignite imaginations and spark change. Never underestimate the power of storytelling. Midwest Writers Room is a production of the Wisconsin Writers Association. Writing and editing by Luella Schmidt and Ken Humphrey. Sound design and editing by Ken Humphrey. Music for Midwest Writers Room is written by Michael Ramir C. For more information, please visit wiwrite.org backslash podcast. Thank you.